When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, Crowley, we got to get into Jed Hoyer, right? Because this is season two. It's episode 76. And we called this episode Jed Hoyer's 2023 Cubs autopsy. So, Crowley, what did Jed have to say in his uh, almost, what, 57-minute uh, State of the Cub press conference the other day? I think that was on Tuesday. Yes, absolutely. I, I thought Monday now. This week has been bizarre. Yeah, I thought was it was it felt like I don't I, I want to feel like it's Tuesday, but you may be right. It might have been yeah, it was Tuesday. It was Tuesday. It was Tuesday that okay. he did it. Yeah, because we, we recorded on Monday and we we said we kind of That's teased right. it out. Yep. So it was on Tuesday that he met with the beat writers and talked about a lot of things. Um, I thought it was a a, a interesting there again, you, you kind of start to like dig for little nuggets here. And and for me, I thought there was a lot of interesting stuff here. Um, when you listen to Jed's intro, you'll hear some stuff here about, um, you know, kind of what happened in the season. And it, again, mirrors what Tom had to say. So this is Jed. And and so what he does is he does his little spiel about how he thinks the season goes, and then he opens it up to media questions. Thanks. Um, I guess I'll start. Uh, I feel like the question that um, I keep reading everywhere is, you know, how do you define the season? And I know you guys have asked our you know, players, you know, Rossi, Tom, you know, is this a success or not? And I guess I'll start by saying like, no. Um, you know, when I think about our season, I'm really impressed that our guys set goals as high as they did. Um, sort of externally, we were not expected to be a playoff team, but the internal uh, expectations were that we were going to make the playoffs. And, you know, going back to spring training, that was that was the clear goal. Um when we were 10 games under in the middle of June, um, these guys still believed. And it was a pretty amazing thing from my seat to listen to them talk about how good they thought the team was when we were 10 games under. Um, you know, in the middle of July, when we were after the All-Star break, we were still we were seven games under. And these guys are begging me not to break the team up and begging me not to make trades, which is really impressive. Um, these guys believe through all that and, you know, they went on a heck of a run. I think we went from, you know, 10 under to 12 over, over a three month period. And, um, it was fun to watch. We just didn't finish the race. Uh, painfully, we did not finish the race. And, um, you know, certainly there's positives to take from the season, both organizationally, um, and certainly positives to take from as a major league team. But, um, you know, right now we're sort of stuck thinking about you know, what could have been and thinking about the, you know, the painful last two and a half, three weeks. And um, you can't call something that um, falls short of your goal as a success. So ultimately we have to live with that. Um, I know it'll motivate me all winter. And I know talking to our players and coaches and front office, I, I know it's going to motivate them, but um, you can't, you can't define something as, as a success when you fall short. And I think as Tom said, those, those things are consolation prizes and that's not why we're here. So, we didn't finish the race, Dustin. And, and, and I, like I said, I think we've come a long way since 2022, 21, 20, when that sell-off happened in 2021 and in 2022, 23, um, 21 and 22, there was no shot. You, you had no shot at a postseason. No one ever thought about it. And when we looked at this year, you know, it was obviously the Pakota had the Cubs winning 77 
If you remember, we had the Pakoda, Craig Goldstein on and all that stuff. And, and the Cubs outseeded, you know, exceeded those expectations. They did fall a little bit short, but I like the fact that the bar is being raised. Oh, yeah. Um, the bar is being raised. There is no doubt about that. Um, even Cub fans would like this. Crawley just seeing some really sad news breaking right now. Any Chicago <laughs> sports fan, uh, NFL legend, Bear legend Dick Budkus passes the way at the age of 80. Mm, man, wow. you know, I, um, TMZ, TMZ reporting that. I'm just, I'm just seeing that as you and I are recording this. Wow. That yeah, is I'm... super sad. Very sad. Um, I actually, I was, I, I wasn't going to see him, but he was going to be an autograph show that I was going, I'm going to this weekend, um, in Schaumburg. So, I mean, that's obviously shocking news. Um, for those fans that aren't young enough his to remember, at Wrigley Field, right? Right. For your fans not young enough to remember, the majority his career was played pretty much at Wrigley Field. Uh, and some of the great Bears teams with Gail Sayers. And so in 2014, when the Cubs did the centennial anniversary of Wrigley Field, uh, on the actual day of, of the centennial, April 21st uh, from 1914, when they had that a few years back, they actually brought out the greatest players that they could of so many generations. And two of the guys that they did bring out were Gail Sayers and Dick Butkus to, to go out on the field and get the accolades. It was a a beautiful moment. And so uh, very sorry to hear that Mr. Butkus had passed away because he was such a face of Chicago. Sorry to interrupt you there, Crowley, but uh, I had to react to it. So absolutely. So, you know, it's, it's a loss for the entire city of Chicago. Great guy. Like I said, a guy who played the majority, the majority of his games at Wrigley field. Um, Field. Now the Cubs. Yes, little tie. And, and, and so, you know, they asked Jed what needs to happen to get over to playoff pump. This is what he had to say. Uh, with that in mind of achieving the playoff goal next year, you know, what do you think you guys need to do to get over the hump and, and get back to the playoffs? Well, um, I was hoping to have less of October to do offseason planning, but certainly we'll, we'll get right to work and, you know, spend a lot of time now that um, we're not, you know, in the fight, uh, get a chance to break down exactly the things that uh, we need to improve. Um, we're a really strong team in a lot of ways. You know, we're above average um, offensive team. I think we're actually top 20% offensive team this year. We had really good run prevention. Um, the shell of a really good team is there. Um, obviously we have to make additions and, and we have to, uh, find ways to improve. Um, but I feel really good given where we were a year ago, the number of pieces we have that are, you know, contributing players on a really good team is there. And we just need to supplement that. Um, and you know, we, we play very, very similar baseball to this year. We just have to finish, find a way to avoid the ups and downs as much and finish the race a lot stronger. So the shell of the team is there that again, you're talking about your core, you got that. And now it comes down to the supplemental pieces that you're going to, you know, look to see what your weaknesses are. I think we know, and, and that's up to Jed to get that done. Um, one of the things that hurt them in their goal to get to that race was the bullpen kind of, um, going through a lot of, t- uh, tough stretch at the end. And obviously this, you know, Jed addressed that issue as well. We've talked about how building depth mm-hmm. within, within player development work for much of the year wasn't quite enough at the end there. Have you diagnosed kind of why that wasn't enough and, and what the next steps are to make sure it doesn't happen? Yeah. I mean, for a really long period of the year, our bullpen functioned really well. You know, we were during that 
that long, good stretch. I think we were 13 and seven in one run games. Adbert it was locking down one run saves. Um, you know, he had you know some combination of Fulmer and Leiter and Merriweather pitching the seventh and eighth, and they did it really effectively. And when that formula, so to speak, when faltered, when Fulmer got hurt, and then Adbert got hurt, Leiter was banged up at the end of the year. Really, only Merriweather was sort of kind of able to run the whole race without having a lot of days off. Um, that that really affected us, and I think, frankly, losing three or your four guys that you're counting on towards the end, I think that's going to affect anybody. Um, but yeah, certainly the, the lessons learned from the year, um, you know, when our bullpen was in really good shape, we were very effective. I think we had times to, during the year that we were unable to hold leads, uh, both kind of in May and then at the end of the season, and that's something we have to address. Um, you know, I think we do have a lot of good arms coming. Um, we have to develop those guys. You know, into good good relievers. That's that transition's not not easy, and we do just have to spend the offseason building up that depth because um, you know we did we lost a number of guys that we were counting on, and that's probably normal. I guess that we have to assume that level of of attrition. Um, but the, mo- the the attrition that hurt us the most was ultimately those guys sort of being a- unable to help us towards the end of the end of the season. We were unable to hold leads and. You know, frankly, we were also un- unable to get the big hits to s- stretch leads out, and um, I think both those things contributed. Now, to me, the thing that he mentioned that was interesting was what we talked about Mark Leiter being banged up at the end of the year. There was no doubt in my head that that he was not healthy. He was not 100%. And so when you look at this season, to me, April and May, it took a while to kind of figure out the roles in the bullpen, right? And And, and that cost them some games in April and May. But as, as Jed said, when you were going, when you were clicking July, August, you know, in June, late June, July, August, you had a defined bullpen. You had defined roles. But you tell me, Dustin, any any team that loses three of their top four uh, bullpen arms in September, how you're going to do? I don't think there's a lot of teams that are going to come, but that's where you need to have added depth. Yeah, they they need to get deeper, and boy, did they miss Michael Fulmer. I mean, Michael Fulmer was obviously just a a piece that they just could not uh, afford to have lost like they did. Um, And and that's always – that that is where you really see – you know, your vice president of baseball operations and your general manager and kind of your pitching lab, like how valuable that is, is putting together that bullpen. That's where you really see when you get the really good talent evaluators out there. Yeah, and and so hopefully, like I said, those arms will come up. Again, the big question, Cody Bellinger, and and here's how Jed answered it. With that in mind, is Cody Bellinger re-signing him a priority? And if you don't re-sign him, how important is it to replace that production and then add some production on top of that as well? Yeah. Um, Yeah, we blew two teams out really well this year. Um, And we were, you know, we were, I think, 14, 14 games over 500, I think, in games decided by five or more runs. That's a really good indication of a really good team. You know, I think that um, you know, in one-run games, I think we were two under. Um, you know, I think I was, I'm really proud of our hitting infrastructure and, and all of our hitters. You know, we ended up with over 800 runs, and we uh, were, I think that's top six, top 20% in baseball, which is certainly not where we were projected uh, going into the season. And I think Cody was a big part of that. Uh, he had incredible season, and um, it felt like during that run that we had, it just felt like, it was just one, two out, single after another. You know, whenever we needed him, he sort of bailed us out. And um, that's certainly not lost on us. Um, you know, we sat down with him on Sunday. I had a, a long conversation. We've had 
really good dialogue throughout the whole year. Um, and he loves Wrigley Field and he loves the, the fans. And I think his experience was fantastic. And obviously our experience with him was fantastic. And, um, you know, we'd love to bring him back. We'll have a lot of conversations with him. Obviously, it's a process and that process does not start now. You know, it's going to obviously it's going to you know play out for a while. But um, I thought I told him this. It's rare to have a guy come in on a one year deal and have that kind of connection with the fans by the, you know, in the middle of the season. It was really special, and he deserves a lot of credit for how hard he plays and the way he played. I think that's what created that. Um, yes, I do think that, um, you know, the, 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 the contributions he made will have to be replaced. I think that's like, you know, um, obviously, you know, like I said, we'd love to bring him back, but um, in a world where that's somewhat uncertain, we do have to figure out a way to, to replace that offensively. So that one to me, Dustin, had a lot of a lot of nuggets in there. Is is that yes, Cody was great, but and Bruce Levine is going to ask a question later. I'm not going to play that clip, but but here's the issue that you have is that for Cody Bellinger and Scott Boris right now, you're going to take your sweet time and see what happens. At the same time, when you're talking about that free agent uh, game of musical chairs. If you're waiting for this guy to make a decision, other teams are going to pick up other players. You do have to find a way that if you lose Cody Bellinger, how are you going to make up for that production that he had offensively? Yeah, I mean, he's a huge bat in the lineup. And we can remember, right, let's look back and, and talk about when he was out of the lineup for an extended period of time and how much the offense struggled without him in that lineup. And um uh, it's going to be really difficult. Now there are people available. There are guys out there. You know, the other thing Crowley is, you know, is it, are the Cubs going to be buyers or are they going to be traders or are they going to be somewhere in between when they try to take care of their needs that they have left? That's also something that we're going to have to keep an eye on as we uh, navigate the, this kind of off season together and with everybody that's uh, subscribing and downloading the fly, the W podcast. But, uh, Listen, Cody Bellinger had a great year, but Jed and Carter are the ones that are going to have to decide, was it because he was on a one-year deal, because he was on that prove-it, and does he have it in him to do this for five, six, seven, eight years? They don't want to have another Jason Hayward contract on the books. Right. So that's going to be that, – that's that's the toughest thing is that everyone says sign him, I mean, give him all the money you want. I, right? It's right. easy for you and I to say, hey, sign him, give it to him, whatever, but – if it doesn't work out, those are the same people that are going to say bench him. Right. And you're so not going to bench him. We're, 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 right, <laughs> we're in season 12 with the Fly the W670 podcast and Cody Bellinger's still around. Are we going to like what we're seeing? Hmm. Now, we heard earlier from uh, Tom about how much he loves Kyle Hendricks and, and Jed says all the glowing things about Kyle Hendricks as well. And again, if it's not for Kyle Hendricks, they're not even close to the postseason with the way that pitching rotate, the, the, the issues they had with the starting rotation. But I thought it was interesting when asked about Marcus Stroman, you didn't see that same kind of, I don't know, feelings as he does obviously after Hendricks. It's not fair because Hendricks has been around, you know, the entire time that Jed Hoyer's been there. But this is essentially what ends up happening, what he said about Marcus Stroman. It said kind of along the lines of the of the question about Hendricks. Um, how would you rate Marcus Stroman's season, and what are the expectations going forward with him? Yeah, I mean, certainly a tale of two seasons. You know, he was a an all star in the first half. He was exceptionally good, and you know, I, I you know, candidate to start the game at, at that point, and then 
you know, really, you know, kind of post London, I think it probably was, he, he was kind of really never got a back on track. He struggled in July and then obviously was hurt for August. And you know, I give him a lot of credit for working hard and trying to come back, but it was, he never quite got back to, to where it was. And so I think that's the only way to, to look at his season was, you know, he was, you know, really uh, crucial for us in the first half, but then, you know, obviously we, we certainly could have used him in the second half, but he was injured and, um, unable to help us. And as far as going forward, um, you know, he and his agent have a decision to make. Um, we'll, we'll find out after the world series what that is, but, um, you know, if he chooses to, to come back, certainly, um, in the second half of 2022 and the, the first half of this year, were exceptionally good. He's a really good pitcher. And, um, as we've learned, you can never have enough good pitching. I'm going to well, make nothing, a prediction. Nothing truer has ever been said than that. You can never have enough good pitching. Sorry, Carl. I'm going I'm I'm to make a prediction here, Dustin. I predict that if Marcus Stroman has a good year, regardless of what's happening with the Cubs, my feeling is they're going to try to trade him and let one of the young arms come up, whether it's Ben Brown, whether it's Jordan Wicks again, whether it's somebody else, Kate, you know, Kate Horton, whatever. I think they're going to trade him, but right now, you know, Marcus I'd be Stroman, shocked, right? You, you would be shocked if he opted out, right? I mean, I'd be shocked if he opted out. Right. So you're talking $21 million, but they can't do anything until he opts in, which he'll do right after the season ends. But you know, that's just something in their plan. When you talk about 21 million and then you start looking at, you know, what's going to cost to get Cody Bellinger, you know, you could offset some of that cost if Marcus Stroman doesn't opt in. So that that'll all be kind of interesting to do now. Couple other, you know, um, you know, again, the David Ross question. This is what uh, Jed had to say on this one here. I spoke highly about how he yeah. kept the team together back in June. This was your first 162 game look at him as a manager with a competitive team. Yeah. How do you kind of assess him as a as an in game manager? We all know what he can do behind the scenes and you know for the group in that way. But what about yeah. what you saw from him on the field? Yeah. Um, and I was very pleased with, with Rossi this year. Um, the things I mentioned before, you know, coming from, um, you know, being 10 under and, and sort of maintaining not only this, the competitiveness, but also having, you know, never having the team focus on individual stuff. It was always about the team. They, we never lost that. Now uh, creating that type of culture is incredibly difficult and he does a fantastic job of that you know you, you mentioned the in-game stuff and obviously you know carter and you know craig breslow and i are down there every day we're talking through you know who's available and, and what situations are going to arise and you know i know the the manager in a big market is always going to get criticism that's part of the the job you know terry francona just retired and he's going straight to the hall of fame i was with him in boston for a long time and you know there was always questions about what he was doing, you know, and he's, you know, going to be in Cooperstown. Um, that's the nature of it. Um, do we have disagreements and do we have you know, heated conversations? Of, of course we do, but you will with any manager. They have to make so many different decisions. Um, they have so many things to weigh. So um, obviously we, you know, work hard all the time to sort of give, give him the right information. And if there are things that, that we disagree with or things that we can do better. Like he's very open-minded to that. Uh, he's constantly trying to improve. Um, but ultimately, you know, we we're very pleased with the job he did this year. And, um, you know, I think that uh, he should be proud of the, the fact that that group kept fighting for him. Hey, Dustin, what do you think they have heated conversations about? Do you think it's bunting? 
<laughs> well, I know that Jed is not a fan of bunting. Last time I heard him on <laughs> the score, he basically said that he wouldn't throw his uh, manager under the bus uh, or his skipper under the bus. That one's for David Hoff. He's listening. David doesn't like the use of uh, skipper. He likes manager. I said, okay, but I like, I like skipper. I'm a little old school. I liked, like your, Bobby, I liked, your, I liked your Bobby Cox story. I thought that was a like great that? story. All right, see, it's yeah. good that you, you listen. You, you're, yeah, you're tell, tell everybody real quick the Bobby Cox story. I liked it. So back in the day when you used to be able to find guys in hotel rooms, I found Bobby Cox in a hotel room and, um, Agreed. He agreed to uh, he agreed to come on the radio show. So no going through anybody. Just called him up, and then I thanked him and I said, "Okay, coach, give me thirty seconds." And I, hey, wait, what? What? I go, "What's wrong? What's wrong, Bobby? I'm not a coach. I'm the manager." Click. <laughs> that was it. that. He wouldn't do it. So I learned to either call him skipper or manager. Baseball coaches are on the bases and in the dugout with the manager or the skipper. It's an insult to call them coach. My love bad that. learning moment. <laughs> I love that this morning. I was laughing in the shower as I'm listening. But, uh, you know, th that's the thing is that this was David Ross's first kind of go at, uh, like they said, uh, you know, his first season was 2020. They made it to the playoffs. But that was a 60-game season. That was a joke. That was Mickey Mouse baseball. He had a real team this time for the first time for 162 Fell a little bit short, but I, I feel like, again, you know, with that hot seat, I think, you know, if things don't go well next year, there's going to be more expectations. And so we'll see what happened. A couple other little things, um, you know, he did bring up, Jed did bring up Saya and how he helped carry that team and how if the Saya that we saw after the benching is the Saya we get all year next year, again, he came in real late last uh, two years ago when he first started. He had the oblique injury this year. You just want this guy to get off to a good start because that what I saw in August and September is what I've been waiting the last two years to see. Oh that gosh! Was, yeah, if you could get that for like 148 games or something, wow, that would be. You're something not you're, you're not going to get that for. And what 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 he brought up about Saya Jed is that you're going to have regression. Nobody's hit 400 since Ted Williams in the 1940s. Okay, so you're 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 going to have regression. You weren't going to have Cody Bellinger constantly hitting 400. But the whole thing is, if he goes down, who steps up? And and it was Saya that stepped up and kept the Cubs in it as long as they were. Um. Another thing I thought was interesting was Dansby Swanson. And you and I both know, Dustin, that when he came here, he was all puffy-chested about wanting to play 162 and doesn't want to be taken out of games. Number one, he's played. prepare that way and basically, basically said, like, if you don't do that, you're weak. But I think that as far as it's concerned, I don't think he's realized he has played a lot of baseball. The amount of games he's played, again, close to 162 the previous two seasons plus postseason baseball. And then you come to Wrigley and you play more day games and you have all those weird day-night games. I'm hoping that we see a lot more better use that maybe, you know, we have a better bench this year. But I, there's still, to me, I never understood why you didn't have more times where, you know, when you have you have those two guys in the middle, you have your shortstop replacement right over there in, in Nico. You could have easily had a couple games where you move Nico over to short and put Chris Morrell at second. Okay. And there were games where you could have given Nico a little rest and put, put Morel at second. And I, I think that I don't, I know that Dansby has a history of being very streaky, but I think that there was a lot of fade at the end of the year. And I think if he, I think David Ross has to be the guy that says, look, I love your heart. I love your passion, 
but I do need you to sit a couple games this year and really kind of use, I, I think he had the best bench pieces to do it this year in Morel and Nico. I think he should have used that more. Yep, absolutely. And I think that's something that they'll talk about in the off season to make sure everybody gets on the same page as far as that goes. I got two more clips here and then we're done with, with Morel here really quick because we're just talking about him. This is what he had to say about Morel. I thought it was interesting. Internally that maybe can take a big step forward for you next year. You know, Morel seems like a guy who's, you know, shown that star potential, you know, how important is it for him to, to find one defensive position? I know you guys talked about that over the course of the season versus the utility role and how much do your off-season decisions and plans yeah. ultimately impact that? Yeah, we're going to keep having conversations about exactly kind of what to have him focus on this winter. Um, but, yeah, I think it's hard. You know, he's never really been able to play every single day at one spot. Um, yeah, I think he can – he's such a good athlete. He's got a great arm. He's got good hands. Like I think it, it's both on him but also on us to, to sort of – help him improve as a defender and get to one place because the you know, power is real. You know, he's dangerous. I think we, you know, we didn't have a lot of guys in the lineup that could change the score that quickly. I think our, so much of our offense was built around getting on base and, 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 and singles. And like, you know, we didn't, we were middle of the pack in terms of home runs, but certainly we were not, you know, top, you know, we had a, a number of guys with 20, but we didn't have many guys like him that is, you know, we're a threat all the time and that, and that's, that's real. And you, know, you want that in the lineup. So, um, we do need to, you know, work hard on finding, you know, one spot. Um, and we'll be talking about exactly what that spot might be. All right. So you hear that. It, 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 I like the fact that they're talking about Morel and, and trying to find him a permanent spot. Um, and, and again, the question is, can he play third base? Well, that's the spot, right? I mean, that, that seems like, the only available spot. He's not going to play short. He's not going to play second. First base doesn't make a lot of sense. The one thing we've never seen him do is catch. I mean, he's not going to be in left field. That's where Ian Happ is. Say Suzuki's in right field. I mean, it's center or third, right? It's center or third. It's not going to be center. So you're talking, you got, if you want to play him every day, third base. If you want to use him as a utility guy and you feel that that's the best value, I would look at that as well. Again, I think you needed to give more guys a day off. And if he can play second, short, and third, you just need him to be a better defensive third baseman before you can use him as a consistent guy to take that spot. Yep, absolutely Uh, right. The last one we have here is about PCA, and I just want the fans to hear this one because this is really important. Jed, you didn't get to see Pete Crow Armstrong like you would in a development year. What did you make of what you saw from him at this level? Uh, What do you hope he kind of took from this experience, and how do you kind of – view him as your roster building sure. next year? Um, you know, he struggled uh, at the plate when he was here. Um, and I told him this. Um, I sat down with him on Sunday and told him this. Like, I actually believe that, was, that that will end up being the single best thing that could happen to him in a lot of ways. Um, you know, he's such an exceptional defender. I think everyone saw that. He's He's going to prevent so many runs defensively. I think as he sort of refines his base running and stolen base, you know, he's going to have such an impact on the bases. Um, he is a good hitter. I think he's, you know, certainly, um, you know, uh, we probably realize that he has to make certain changes um, offensively. And I think realizing that now um, is really key. I think this is the, the, this is the big leagues. This is the, the best league there is. And the pitching is a lot better than it is in, in the minors. And I think seeing that, 
up close and personal and realizing, okay, there's probably adjustments I have to make. And I told him, I said, Hey, you know, I watched Anthony Rizzo hit 141 over roughly 150 plate appearances in, in, in 2011. And he was a top 10 prospect. He had incredible minor league numbers. He came up to the Padres and I mean, literally at 141, he looked terrible. And we sat him down at the end of the year and, and just said like, okay, you, you saw what it's about. You have to go make real changes. And, you know, thankfully, uh, the Padres traded him to here after we, after we came here, um, because he hit 141. Um, but he showed up in spring training the next year and he had completely altered his swing. He like, he realized there were certain pitches he couldn't get to and he needed to make those adjustments and he made those changes. And I think he hit 285 in the next year in, in half a season. There's no way he makes. So just on that, again, you did not see what PCA can do. You didn't have a normal developmental year. You threw him in the middle of a wild card chase and you had him coming in against really tough pitchers. That kid is going to make the adjustments because he is hungry. I've heard it from every coach at every level. This guy is the real deal. Again, don't forget Rizzo was awful. That's how the Cubs got him when he came up. You don't you remember Kyle Schwarber getting sent down to the minors? What about Ian Happ? What about Ryan Sandberg going 0 for 35? And those were guys that got to start the year or come in at the middle of the year, not in the last month in a pennant chase. If you want to give up on PCA, that's your mistake. I'm not going to make that mistake. No, I, I, I wouldn't give up on him. No, I would not give up on him. But uh, he's really going to have to spend a lot of time in the cage, right? And that's exactly what he's going to do. And I think he's, the team is going to be stronger for it. All right. Then what? Bat him ninth and have him day one in center field, right? If if it doesn't work out with Bellinger, that would ideally be the oh, case. Play Bellinger, Bellinger at first base. Yeah, I would be a hundred percent fine with that. Okay, me too. Me too. That would be that would be really that would be really cool. That 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 is something that uh, that's something that I could boy. I, I think that would be really cool. I really do. That uh, that. Uh, Boy, there's so much to talk about, Crowley, in this offseason. I mean, it, it, and it's exciting, right, because the Cubs are this close, this close to playing some October baseball, and, and at least at least playing, I think, in the divisional round. And that's that's what it has to be the hope for you and I, all the listeners of the Fly the W podcast, all the Cubs out there. Well, Crowley, that's a wrap. Don't forget to listen, download, review, subscribe to the Fly the W podcast. Follow us on the socials, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can email us, flythew670 at gmail.com. You can watch us on YouTube by subscribing to the 670 to Score YouTube channel. Have a great weekend, Crowley. We'll get back at it on Monday. We'll uh, get everybody updated on the uh, divisional series and uh, have a good one, okay? Even though they're not playing, we'll have all the news for you always whenever it's breaking. Don't forget to give us those five-star reviews and go Cubs!